In honor of the gospel, would you please stand as you are able? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also, and you know the way to the place where I am going. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together, Faith. Oh, Holy One, you have called us into your presence this day. We see your Holy Spirit reflected upon the faces of those that we have seen this morning. We feel it hanging thick in the air as the choir sings, Give me Jesus. Your scripture has been read, O God, and we have heard these words from our Lord Jesus Christ. Our hearts are prepared, and so we pray that you would take us now to the place of understanding, to the place of transformation, to the place of learning. This is what we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. The words from today's text come from what is known as the farewell discourse in John's gospel. It's a rather lengthy explanation. So if you're turning in your Bibles, you're going to notice that chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17 is kind of a monologue, really, of Jesus sharing what it is the disciples are going to need to know next. You see, he knows what is coming, and they have no idea. He knows that the cross awaits him at the end of Holy Week. He knows that they will be utterly devastated by what appears to be the final nail in the coffin when they close the stone at the tomb. But he also knows that what appears to be the end really isn't. And so he's offering them these beautiful words of assurance. They're sort of a little excerpt that we get to read today, but it really follows in all of those four chapters of of John's gospel, these beautiful words of assurance Words they're going to need in the days to come. So let's hear these phrases again. Let me see if I can get this to, there we go. He says things like, I go to prepare a place for you. Can you feel how he's trying to to help them? He knows what's coming. They have no idea. So, So what are they going to need to know next? I go to prepare a place for you. And then he says, I'm going to take you with me right? You're not going to be alone. And then finally, what he tells him is, you know the way. In other words, it's not a secret. This isn't a game of cat and mouse. God isn't asking you to hunt. You already know the way. Obviously, Jesus is trying to keep hope alive even before the disciples have any idea there is a chance it could be extinguished. I recognize this tactic. You probably do too. It's why we have fire drills, right? It's the being prepared of this might happen and you want to have thought about it so that when it does, you're ready. It's why my weather alert radio performs that test every Wednesday at noon and tells me in the unlikely event of a real emergency, 
right? You would have been given instruction about where to go so that, that you know, right? And, and that's where Jesus is. He's trying to prepare them. It's just a good idea to be prepared because when that unlikely event becomes a reality, and friends, none of the disciples could have imagined the cross. That, that wasn't in their horizon, right? And when that unlikely event becomes a reality, he wants them to be prepared, to be ready. In this fourth and final week of our sermon series about what it is that keeps us up at night, Jesus' words to the disciples are really the perfect wrap-up. Jesus comes in this lesson to assure us, it's okay, friends, you can trust, he's saying. You can trust. You can trust in God. You can trust in me. Jesus promises that he's going to make good on his word to provide just what we need when we need it. Jesus doesn't intend for us to have to hunt for him. He's going to show us clearly how we follow. And he wants us to know that you can pursue this life of rest. In the beginning of this sermon series, one of the things that Pastor Heather and I shared with you is that God intends for us to have a life of holy rest. That's how God has made us. That's God's intent for us. And so here we come in this last sermon to know that we can pursue that, knowing it has always been God's intent for us to find it and live it. So as we pursue what God has for us, first we're going to have to relax. You ready? Take a big deep breath. (sighs) Right? We can be assured because here's what we need to know, friends. God is on our team, right? We're on God's team. And where we go, we go together. And wherever that is, it's good. And it's for our good. And we can rest in that. So, I hoped to get us to a place of reassurance, a place of of what I would call holy rest, right? That we know God is for us. We know God's gonna provide. We know we can trust in God so that we can be honest in a place of assurance, in a place of safety. Then maybe we could be honest about some of the real struggles that we face in a life of discipleship. And this has to do with how we experience this in our sleeping patterns, right? This is called insomnia for a reason. So several months ago, well, November, I guess, Pastor Heather and I were getting ready for this particular sermon series, and we sent out a survey. About 33 of you filled it out and said, this is what keeps you up at night. And by and large, I mean, almost to the T, most of you said, the reason I can't sleep at night is because I can't shut off my brain. Either it prevents me from going to sleep or it wakes me up in the middle of the night and I can't go back to sleep. All right, so here's our place of honesty, remember? Let's think about what that means when we can't get our brains to shut off. It indicates that our need for control outweighs our trust in God. Because we think we have to be in charge of this, right? It also indicates that perhaps we have not provided our minds the right food for consumption, and so they remain hungry at the end of the day. They can't be quiet. It indicates that we have not acknowledged our fears, our disappointments, our anxieties. And so then when it gets quiet, they rise up to demand our attention. So what I would say to us today, friends, is this struggle, not being able to shut off our brain, at its root, it's a spiritual struggle. It's a part of us learning to live a more faithful life of discipleship so that we do drift not away from trusting in God, but we drift 
toward trusting in God. Another thing that you told us, the struggle that you have, uh, part of the reason that you give up sleep, particularly, is you just have too much to do. You know, I, I heard someone say to me two weeks ago after the sermon, they came out to me and they said, you know, the phrase I've heard is, it's okay, you can sleep when you're dead. <laughs> I said, yeah, well, you will be, <laughs> right? If you don't sleep, you'll die. It's a human need that we have to sleep. But we've convinced ourselves that we have too much to do. We just don't have time. And so we give up sleep because we just don't have time for it. Let's, in our moment of honesty, let's talk about what that means. It indicates, perhaps, that we have procrastinated. That we have put off or ignored what is truly ours to do. No wonder we don't have time for it. Because we didn't deal with it when we needed to. Or, on the other side, is kind of two sides of the same coin. Perhaps we have assumed responsibility for what might or might not be ours to do, right? Part of the reason we have too much to do is that we're trying to do things that don't belong to us. So in those moments, part of what we need to be able to honestly say to each other is perhaps we get a buzz off of being busy, so we make sure we stay that way. It makes us feel important. How are you? Oh, I'm so busy, Right? And it helps us to feel important. It helps us to feel significant. And so we make sure we stay that way. Again, at its root, too much to do is a spiritual struggle. Finally, I think there's a spiritual struggle here, but we're going to take a minute to get there. We refuse to recognize sleep hygiene and environmental factors. Now, almost none of you mentioned that in the survey, which I find to be amazing. Right? I mean, why, do you, why can you not sleep at night? Well, because certain things have happened in your day that make it less likely that you're going to sleep at night. So there, there are certain practices that make it more likely as adults that you would get seven to eight hours of sleep. As an adolescent, you need eight to ten hours of sleep every single night. Okay? That's what keeps us healthy, right? But we refuse to do it. Like eliminating screen use for at least 30 minutes before you go to bed. That really does improve the quality of your sleep and the likelihood that you will go to sleep more easily. We refuse to limit our caffeine consumption, especially afternoon. I know this is so hard for me because 2 o'clock you kind of hit that, you know, and you're like, oh, Diet Coke. Right? But that makes it less likely that I'm going to sleep at night. Don't eat within one and a half hours of going to bed. Makes it less likely you're going to have a good night of sleep. Well, when you don't get home till 8.30 or 9, right? Turn off all the lights. This includes screens, okay? You sleep better when it is dark. That's what your body is accustomed to. It's what helps your body know that it's time to sleep. And keeping the sleeping temperature no warmer than 68 degrees. It really does help whenever you have to snuggle a little bit under the covers, Okay? Those are things that we know the research has shown us we need to do these things. It helps us to get a better night of sleep, but we don't do them. It indicates, friends, that we believe that we are the exception and we should not be bound by the limitations of our human body. Now, what you need to know is that as I shared, particularly this last one with you, that all the fingers are pointing right back at me. I, I'm terrible at sleep hygiene. And I know, I know it makes it harder for me to sleep at night. And it's hard, is what I want to be able to say, to be able to say to you that what that means is I think I should be the exception. 
Everyone else can be human, but not me. Really? Okay, I mean, so this is, this is a part of acknowledging that, that we are human, that we have limitations, we have parameters that are required of us to pay attention to, and that's okay. It's a spiritual struggle. None of us really finally, at the end of the day, want to be the human that we are. But it is only that human that can be an authentic relationship with God. So it's okay to say that we are human. So we asked you in the survey, so what have you found helpful? What are the practices that help you deal with these struggles, these spiritual struggles? And this is what you told us. Number one, you said prayer. In fact, someone came up to me after the 940 service and said, you know, I have really made it a point to pray in the morning and pray at night. That's, that was new for her, a new rhythm and routine. She said, it has made such a difference in my sleep. That prayer really does help. You named specifically the 23rd Psalm and the Lord's Prayer because those are ones that you tend to know. So you don't have to read anything. You can just pray it or recite it in your mind. These are the things that you have memorized and, and being able to recite them uh, provides your mind the stillness that it needs to rest. This kind of follows on that, but memorizing scripture verses has really helped some of you. You named uh, the ones that you particularly find helpful. There were about five or ten uh, kind of common scripture verses that really have helped you find that place of stillness so that your mind and your body can shut down, trust in God, and rest. This is another thing that you named, giving thanks, which is a, a form of prayer, right? Being grateful. But a part of what being grateful, and some of you mentioned making a list of the things that you're grateful for at the end of the day, what it reminds you of is that God intends to provide for you. And so that then helps you again to trust this is another thing you said, and I have to give a little bit of explanation, but you said that there had to be a way for you to put away the things that were occupying your mind when it was time to go to sleep. So list making tended to be really helpful. In other words, before you go to bed, if there are things that you know, are right at the top of your mind, you'll just go ahead and write them down, and that way you can put them away and, and, and let your mind rest. This was so fascinating. One of you said that you, you keep a stack of coasters by your bed, on your bedside table, and so before you go to sleep at night, you'll hold a coaster and name something that's on your mind, and then you throw it down on the floor. That's just, it's a symbolic way of, you know, getting rid of it, and that way when you wake up in the morning, then it's there for you, and it reminds you, oh yeah, that's right. But it's all, of, uh, all of this is a, is a liturgical, that would be my word for it, because I'm a preacher type. Uh, it's a symbolic way, right, of being able to put things away. One of the phrases that I have said to myself repeatedly is, Charlotte, it's okay, God can take it for eight hours. Right, you don't have to be in charge. Set it aside so you can rest. That's Okay. So that was one thing that you told us was really helpful to you. Another thing, this was really interesting. Um, you said that reading a book or watching a movie helped you be ready to rest, but you named specifically, repeatedly. So I, I knew that it was something that most of you, uh, if you have this practice, have come into contact with. It needs to be a book or a movie that doesn't stimulate you. Something you've read before, a movie you've seen before, uh, I would highly recommend the United Methodist Book of Discipline. <laughs> right? Just put that on your bedside table 
And before you get ready to go to sleep, it, it won't be on a screen, right? It's a, a book, right? Remember those with paper? And you can read it, you know, and, and I promise you, two or three pages of that, you'll fall right asleep. But, it, you know, not your favorite novel or not something that's going to, you know, upset you. Or just, it needs to be a, an experience of reading a book, watching a movie. It's all of that emptying, letting go of what's on your mind. And this was fascinating. Just a few of you said that exercise was really helpful for you in falling asleep. And Pastor Heather and I were kind of surprised by that because if you get your heart rate up right before you go to bed, it seems like it would make it harder to fall asleep. But what you said was particularly if you were frustrated by something that had happened during the day, to be able to really exercise vigorously kind of helped you empty those frustrations so that you could go to bed with a clear mind. So those are the things that you said uh, would help you. Our hope, Pastor Heather and I, as we planned the sermon series, is that over these last few weeks, you have been reminded that your need for rest is not a flaw. Friends, If you walk away from this sermon series with nothing else, of knowing that it's not a weakness that you need to rest, that God knows you need to rest, and God created you that way. Because our culture, friends, is going to tell us something very, very different. It's going to tell us we need to go 90 miles an hour all the time. That's not how you were created. And the fact that you need adequate rest is not a weakness it is not a flaw even Jesus had to get away from the crowds to be quiet as you read through the gospels you're going to see this repeatedly especially before Jesus was going to do something very important he would get away by himself to rest to be with God to be in silence this should affirm our choice for self-care And most of all, I hope that you would have this assurance that God is always with you in the midst of uncertainty or chaos or fear. Those things are all external to us. They're situational. They are given to us whether we like it or not, right? Uncertainty didn't happen because we decided we wanted to be uncertain. It's usually given to us from the outside. Chaos, fear, all of those things. But God is with us. In the middle of that, we are not alone. Jesus' words from the text today prepare us that in the unlikely event of an emergency, we would know we're not alone. We're not alone. Jesus isn't going to leave us. In fact, to the contrary, what Jesus says is, I will give you peace. I will give you peace. In reflecting on this particular text, Caroline Lewis, in her commentary, wrote this. This could actually be a very accurate depiction of this text if we remember that dwelling place. Now, before we go any further into her quote, what Jesus says is, I go to prepare a place for you. And, and you know the way. And, and if it were not so, what I've told you. And, and we, we imagine a physical place And for most of us in our mind, we imagine that that can only happen after we die. That that would be a place of heaven that Jesus has prepared for us. And certainly that is a part of his promise, right? The promise of eternal life. But what Caroline Lewis, as she goes on to to say, is that it's not necessarily a physical place that Jesus prepares for us. This is what she says. It is no place at all unless it means being in the intimate presence of God or better yet, being at the bosom of the Father. 
It's that place of comfort, of knowing intimacy with God, being at the very bosom of God, being held close in the divine embrace. That's the place that Jesus promises us. She says, ascended life toward which resurrection looks means with God, with Jesus, that we are sharing in their intimate bond and all that that intimacy entails. And then she quote, closes with this quote, where Jesus is, there we will be also. That's the place that he promises us. I go to prepare a place for you. So wherever Jesus is, there we will be also. He tells us, friends, that we know the way. It's not going to make us hunt for it. It's available to us all the time. And so those ways that we quiet our soul and still our mind and put things away and trust that God's got it for eight hours, those are the ways of us inviting Jesus to be in that place with us. Amen. Amen.